Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so that we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to speak to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Alice Swetman, and she's available in the narthex uh, wearing a special name tag. We have uh, a few announcements to tell you about today, but take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements. So now we we have several, so I hope we can all be brief here. Um, The first one is Noel. If you're caring for a loved one, a spouse, or anyone that's on Medicare Advantage, this is the re-enrollment time. Next Sunday, uh, Rod Foreman is not speaking in his class. We'll be in room 201. Nancy Skelton will go over all of the choices that are available in Medicare Advantage to help you make the best decision for the care for yourself or for your loved one. Please uh, mark it on your calendar and be there. It's in the bulletin. Thank you. Good morning. Um, It's wonderful to see you all from this angle. (laughs) Normally, I recognize you all from from the back of your heads. So I have an announcement to make about a special event that will take place here at our church this week connected with the E-Roy Festival, E-O-R-I. That stands for Eastman Rochester Organ Initiative, and it's an outreach program that's sponsored by the Eastman Organ Department, and I have some connection with them. And the theme of this year's conference that they put on every year, well, this year's theme is hymn singing connected to a German tradition in Europe called the Moravian Church, Our organ has kind of a partial historical connection to the Moravian Church. And in the context of that, the uh, organizers of the conference and the festival contacted James and me about a year ago and said it would be highly appropriate if we held part of our events at First Presbyterian Church Pittsford. Could we do that? We said, "By, by all means, please come here and do that. So that event will take place this Thursday afternoon, October 27th, about 4.30, there will be a concert event, partly music, organ music, and partly hymn singing. And there will be some little bit of speaking, some scholarly events going on here, and then followed by a catered dinner in our fellowship hall at 5.45. Part of the deal of arranging this was that we would be able to invite you, the congregation, to this event in particular. Uh, if you would like to come to this, you're more than welcome. Just give me a heads up. I put my email in the bulletin for this announcement purpose. Just drop me an email so I get a rough head count about how many people I can expect and I can let the organizers know how many we should be expecting from our congregation that day. Thank you very much. Good morning. As you can tell by your bulletin, We are starting the pie sale today. It will 
run for three weeks. We have to have our orders in a week early. These are the habitat pies. Our coalition usually clears about $2,000 with this sale, so it's very important to our funds for building another home in three years. We're presently building right now. We do need volunteers. <coughs> excuse me. We do need volunteers to finish building our home that we're building right now. The dedication is the 19th of November, and we are presently hanging drywall. We should be finishing that this week, and then we'll be doing painting, trim, etc. So uh, please look at your schedules and see if you can volunteer any time. The third thing is Habitat, a week ago yesterday, opened their second restore. A restore is where you can go and purchase things that have been donated to Habitat to sell. Many of the items are brand new. Some are a lot of furniture, um, appliances, things like that. If you're downsizing or moving or redoing your kitchen, they'll take kitchen cabinets, they'll take appliances, give them a call, they'll come and pick it up. This new restore is at is on East Henrietta Road, where uh, Country Max used to be. It's right near the um, Department of Motor Vehicles in that little plaza on East Henrietta Road. So keep that in mind if you have any donations or if you're in need of something. Thank you. Morning. Bruce is going to be sharing a little bit about mission with you today, but I thought I'd, uh, I'd just let you know that the, the group that uh, is going down to help with flood relief and recovery in, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, five of them drove out yesterday morning and arrived safely down there, and Bruce and I will be flying out this afternoon to join them. And uh, so you're too late to go on that trip. But there's a trip in the uh, first of January to Baton Rouge, and I haven't bought the tickets for that one yet, so if anybody feels the urge after watching and listening to Bruce this morning to do something for someone else, let me know, and you can join us and go in January to Baton Rouge and help the people that have been flooded out there. Please join us for refreshments in Fellowship Hall at the end of worship, and now we'll begin our service with the prelude.
For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This too is a would not have done that justice. 
And we cannot sing standing on the promises when we're sitting on the premises. So we've got to make sure we're standing. Please join me in prayer. Caring, faithful God, keeper of promises and lover of creation, it is with confidence in your unchanging compassion and mercy that we dare to come before you as we are. We acknowledge that as we approach you in this time of worship, we are people of sorrow as well as of joy, people of failure as well as of success. We ask you to receive our worship and this act of our praise. Build us up and strengthen our faith. Help us in our desire to be open to your word this morning as it comforts and challenges, as it directs and sheds light, and as it convicts and consoles. Then, by the power of your Holy Spirit, working within us, enable us to be strengthened that we might share your love one with another. Amen. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God, using even this printed prayer. God of truth, we confess our share of society's sin. We confess the potential within us for selfishness and revenge, for exploitation and even violence. We confess that we think, desire, and do that which we know to be contrary to your will, and that often we tend to blame our circumstances on others the cause of our response. We also confess our arrogance in believing we can control such urges on our own, that we can handle our own dark emotions without your help. Still, there is fear that inhibits our willingness to be honest with ourselves and with you, especially the fear that you may not continue to love us. And so we reveal our lack of trust that you do care for us at all times, that you do love us unconditionally, and that you will come to us with hope on our sinful days. Please come to us now with forgiveness, we pray. Amen. God has promised to come to us in the nighttime of our sin with assurance of forgiveness. For Christ is light. And we who, we who have faced and confessed our darkness and who sincerely desire to align our lives with the light need no longer have fear. Thanks be to God who has provided our deliverance. For the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Reading from the Old Testament from Joshua 23. At this point, Joshua is advanced in years, and um, 
He has taken over leadership from Moses, and this is what he does and says. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, their elders and heads, their judges, officers, and he said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all of these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. The Lord has driven out before you great, strong nations, and as for you, no one has been able to withstand you to this day. One of you puts to flight a thousand, since it's the Lord your God who fights for you, as he promised. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one thing has failed of all of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, and not one of them has failed. But just as the good things that the Lord God promised concerning you have been fulfilled, so the Lord will bring upon you all the bad things until he has destroyed you from this good land that the Lord your God gives you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he enjoined on you, and you go and you serve other gods and you bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land he's given you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's my joy and privilege to invite the young people to come up front. Hello, Miss Seacat. How are you, dear? Love your dress. Your family did a great job ringing today, don't you think? Did a great job ringing this morning. Good morning, Miss Wilson. How are you, dear? How's the riding this week? Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Good morning, Robbie. How you guys doing? I'm curious. Have any of you ever had somebody make a promise to you? Yeah? I'm glad to hear that. I have had people make promises to me, like Mr. Pollock. He promises to hug me every time he sees me. And he follows through on those promises. There are also ways that when we make a promise that we can show that we're going to follow through on that promise. Sometimes people give symbols to demonstrate that they are going to follow through on their promise. Sometimes they sign a piece of paper or an electronic tablet with their signature and their signature is their promise. And sometimes they just use their good name, their word, to follow through on a promise. Now, does anybody know what this might be? A ring. A ring. What kind of ring? Anybody know what kind of ring that people tend to wear on their ring finger of their left hand? Wedding ring. A wedding ring. Well done, Miss Wright. This is one of those signs that people can use to seal a promise. And that promise is that they're going to love one another no matter what comes in their lives. So a a wedding ring or another symbol can be used to sign a promise. How about this? What does this look like? An envelope. What kind of envelope? Do you see anything in particular on this envelope? It has a name, that's right. 
and writing and a signature. And what's this up in the right corner? A stamp of a bird. You guys have great answers. Now, this stamp signifies a promise that the post office makes to us that if we purchase the stamp and put it on the letter, they promise to deliver it to the person to whom we've addressed it. Whether or not there's wind, snow, sleet, hail, storms, they will come in dark or night. They will come and deliver on the promise that that stamp represents. Okay, last one. Anybody know what this is? Credit card. I want you to know that it's this, this side of the older kids who knew exactly what this was right away. Okay, a credit card. How could this be a promise? Miss Maddie, why is this a promise? Yeah, it's a promise to keep money on it so that if somebody who owns this card, and only the person who owns this card signs for it, then the bank where that money is deposited will then be credited to the person that it's signed for, right? Well done. So you have these examples of symbols or signatures or our good name and our good word of people following through on promises. Do you think every person follows through on the promises that they make all the time? I wish they did, but somehow we're not perfect people and we don't. But we have an example of somebody who does. Anybody have any idea who might... God follows through on God's promises. Well done, nice, right? Absolutely. And we have this attestation that Pastor Bruce just read for us. All God's promises have happened. Not one of God's promises has failed. That's what we hear in the book of Joshua. All God's promises have been followed through on. And so we can trust in those promises. We can stand on those promises, right? Just like we just sang? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Here's my hope. That even when the promises that we make or the promises that are made to us, even if those promises don't come to fulfillment that we can be hopeful that God will still keep God's promises. Would you like to pray about that? Okay, let's all pray. God in heaven, we give you thanks that your promises are made and fulfilled. We count on you. And we also thank you, God, for forgiving us when the promises that we make, sometimes we break. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to forgive others when they make promises and sometimes break them. We ask all of this in the name of your son, the one who stood up for our promises broken and made promises of his own that were fulfilled. Amen. Have a great time in the kingdom, friends.
A reading from 2 Peter. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. In them I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors decide, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and on earth was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the word at that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about God's promises, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I know when I see the name John Nesbeck as a composer, he's going to take some familiar hymn tune and make it very difficult for the choir to sing it and make it really glorious. That's true. Thank you. John 15. Jesus is speaking. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you might love one another. If I wanted a verse for today, I think it would be Psalm 105, verse 8. God remembers God's covenant forever, the promise God made for a thousand generations. We've been working our way down our little placard. Today we get to keep your promises. Promise Keepers was a ministry made of men that was founded in 1990 by Bill McCartney, then head football coach at the University of Colorado in Boulder. In July of 1990, 72 men met at the Boulder Valley Christian Church to organize what would become known as the Promise Keepers. It was their first event. The most notable event that they held was called the Stand in the Gap, a Sacred Assembly of Men, an open-air gathering on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. on the 4th of October, 1997. It was carried live by C-SPAN, the entire event. And the estimates for the number of men that were there ranged between 600 and 800,000. For a brief while... A number of gatherings of men took place in football stadiums all over this country, a meeting for Bible study and prayer. But now they faded away. What happened to promise keepers? You don't hear about them much anymore. Several sociologists have made a study of their decline, and one publication wrote this. Their problem was they weren't able to keep their promises. God keeps God's. We struggle to keep ours. I think most of us have come to believe that very few political candidates keep their promises. And sometimes, given a little space, we might think that's a good idea. In October 1940... Presidential candidate Franklin Roosevelt promised this. I have said this before, 
and I shall say it again and again. You boys are not going to be sent into any foreign war. We're used to politicians not keeping their campaign promises. And outrageous quotes hardly bother us. But it does bother us greatly when someone we love and trust fails to keep an important promise. I promise to love you in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, and to keep myself ever and only for you till death do us part. And when those kinds of promises are broken, it leaves a trail of grief and pain. I'm not always great at keeping promises. I think about all the times I've failed to deliver. Most of the time, it's when I become very easily distracted. Yes, Martha, I will pick up some corn on the way home. And you know where this is going to go. I walk in the door, and what's the first question? Where's the corn? And I feel so empty and guilty when something like this happens. Or you neglect to follow through on a promise you make to someone else. Seldom are promises intentionally avoided, but they can erode trust. I've discovered that there are those who now handle the potential of this consequence by never making any promise to anyone else except themselves. And smugly they feel they can take the moral high ground. I just won't make any promises of any kind to anyone. Unrealistic. Who are they kidding? We know about promises. God's promise to send a Savior and God's fulfillment of that promise in sending Jesus demands a response. And that's what I want to talk about today. A response that some people here have made in mission. And so, um, in prayer that something technical will work, Carrie and I are going to move this screen and then I'll try and move a projector and explain what I mean. Over the years, we've made a number of trips um, to the continent of Africa, which is a really big continent. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit, hopefully, about some of those. Let me see if I do this, if that will open up a little bit. Uh, we've made some trips to Pemba and Rabawi in Mozambique, to Beira, also to Katali, um, 
to the Johabeto project and over the last six years or so to the Katali project, uh, the INSTEP project. Um, it's a really big country, uh, a continent actually, and um, gives you an idea of the size of the continent of Africa. If you were to leave by plane from Atlanta and fly to the Cape Verde Islands, you can see them off on the left-hand side there in the northern part of Africa. The distance from there to South Africa is one and a half times the distance it is from the Cape Verdes all the way to Atlanta. This is a massive continent. When we've gone there, uh, we've focused for a while near um, uh, Mozambique. Some people have been to Malawi and Lalongwe. Um, some of us have been to Pemba in the north part of Mozambique, uh, usually using Nampula as our home base. Others have helped build a church in Beira, which you can see more toward the south. The first time we went to build a church, we went to, in Mozambique, we really went to um, uh, Rabawe. And when we got to Rabawe, we were met by these boys at a place where they were playing soccer. And we said, uh, we want to see where the church is to be built. They took us there. We had asked the congregation of the Presbyterian Church in Rabawe to have some things available. We did not go there to build a church for them, but to build a church with them. So we asked them to have 30,000 bricks, large piles of sand, several truckloads of sand, water, and some stone. When we got there, this pile of sand was all that they had prepared over the last two years. Over the years that we had been planning to help them build their church, we had filled a warehouse in the little town of Rabawi with 40 tons of construction materials. We had to decide what we were going to do. And so we decided they had not done their part. We were going to leave. So we drove that day back to Nampula, about a full day's drive. And there it was decided that somebody needed to go back, get a truck, and bring the 40 tons of construction supplies back to Nampula. I was elected along with Dale Pollock. We went back. I went into town and I agreed to pay men five days worth of wages for one day's worth of work to help load the trucks. Men signed up and then they all quit at noon. Demanded that I pay them. Paid them for two and a half days wages and went back to hire more men on the street. And those who saw that they could be paid now another two and a half days for a one half day's worth of work decided that they really did want to work. And we filled the trucks. But the elders in the congregation were upset that we were now pulling out all the construction material out of Rabawe. And so they took their children and placed them under the wheels of the trucks, defying us to drive over their children to take the material away. 
Dale started to do gymnastics and the children left the wheels of the truck on their own. Meanwhile, I gathered the elders and the other people from the congregation into a circle and we had prayer. And I said to them, if you can get 30,000 bricks rather than the 300 you have prepared and the sand and water in two years, I promise you we will come back and help you build your church. So we unloaded the material in a little town of Pemba to the north. God had a plan that we weren't prepared for, and so we helped that congregation build a church. They had been in prayer that somehow God would help them find a team of people that could help them build their building. And we laid the cornerstone. You know, when we lay a cornerstone in a church here or in a building, we put it kind of in the corner of our stone. That's not where they put a cornerstone in a church in Mozambique. The cornerstone is placed in the ground under the place where the pulpit will be placed. The cornerstone is the word of God. And then... Two years went by quickly, and we returned to Rabawe. Those of us who went back will tell you that this is the church building that the children built. Indeed, children came and worked on the site every day. And we began to use the bricks that they had. Indeed, what they had done is they used the clay soil that was there, And they made bricks and built a kiln out of the clay. And then they put more bricks inside. And then they fired the kiln. And the fire inside the kiln not only cured the bricks in the kiln, but cured the bricks of the kiln. And when we tore the kiln apart, we had 30,000 bricks. And together, we built the church. Until it was complete. And it's used in worship there this day. But we had another thing to do. We got a call. Could we help an orphanage be built in Kenya? So we flew to the Katali International Airport. This is the airport terminal there. Uh, It is the Katali International Airport. It's an international airport because there are planes from Uganda who land here. And we went to the little village of Soy where there was an orphanage. Martin was there, and Martin had grown up in an orphanage himself. And he thought to himself, when he was a boy, the building in which he lived was built by Ted Pollack. I wonder if Ted Pollack is still alive. And so he wrote a letter to Ted, but Ted had passed and entered the church triumphant. Ron read it and said, let's go help Barton. So we returned, this time to Kenya, and we went to Soy and found the children of the orphanage and their leader and director, Martin, to Salimi. A couple of days later, this is what the orphanage looked like. A different tribe and neighbors thought that the land should have belonged to them, even though Martin had purchased the land and 
held a deed for it. So they came in the middle of the night while the children were in the buildings and set them on fire and tore them apart. Not a single child lost their life, but we took the children to the construction site that we started and built another orphanage. This project was known as Johabeto, joining hands for a better tomorrow. And we built the building out of brick, and it was wonderful to see. We tried to fulfill the promise we made to Martin. We will come and help you build your orphanage. This is a picture of Martin. That's his daughter in the blue. Martin is the only one who had a vehicle. He had a motorcycle. And if you know anything about Swahili, this is called a picky. A tiki is a bicycle, so you have a tikis and pickies. And we also took them a corn grinder to grind the corn in the fields. Where did this come from? This corn grinder was actually built in Webster, New York, by a man that I met selling shirts in the dress department at Macy's at the mall in Victor. And that's what the buildings look like at the orphanage. But then a call came for more help. Could you come and help us in another place in Katali at Instep, Rahema Instep Orphanage? We have now at least 172 children. At the time, there were 134. And so we said, yes, we promise we'll come. And so we went to that orphanage. First child that I met there was Bonnie. Bonnie was fairly new, minted baby, and her mother didn't feel she could care for Bonnie, so she had thrown her daughter into a pit latrine about eight feet deep. There Bonnie was in the piss and the poop. And a 12-year-old boy heard her crying, and he climbed down into that muck and pulled Bonnie out, took her to the police station, and they brought her to Rahema Instep. The people at Rahema then took Bonnie to Dr. Shadrach, and he reset her arm. And every night, I held Bonnie and rocked her to sleep, changed her diapers, and I promised her, one day you will dance. She was very sick. You don't ingest all of that stuff into your body and have your body handle it easily. So every night we had to try and clean out her mouth and turn her upside down, hoping that things would drain out of her lungs. There's been a medical clinic built there now. When we do construction in that part of Africa, we don't have, say, oh, how many yards of concrete did you say you wanted? No. What you do is you make piles of cement and piles of stone and piles of sand, and you bring in five-gallon cans of water, and you mix it on the ground in order to build a building. This is what the boys' dorm now looks like. It's built of stone. And the children, well, they look wonderful. By the time we were there in 2014, some of them had grown wonderfully. This is Jessica. 
and Rebecca. And toothbrushes? Well, that's one thing that every child has that's their own. They don't have their own clothes. They have two items that are theirs. Their toothbrush and their shoes. Some worked on a dorm. Others of us played as well as worked. Ron is not actually eating a dung beetle, but it did kind of spook out the other ladies that were part of our team. I was hoping that I would be able to see Jackson, who's wearing the hat, and the boy in the middle, whose name is Josh. Now, if you know a little bit about Swahili, the word for father is Baba. And the word for grandfather is Babu. But when you call somebody Baba, then you add to that the first name of a man's oldest male child. Well, Martha and I have a son. His name is Josh. And so I was known as Baba Josh. This boy's name was Joshua. He's never had a Baba Josh. And he thought it was wonderful that for the first time in his life, there was someone he could call Baba Josh. Everywhere I went, he would fling his body at The children eat on the veranda. They do their own laundry, make bricks for buildings, and raise their own food. You might call these collard greens. There in Kenya, this is called skuma. We have built a school building there to which the children attend. They gather firewood, and here is Hope washing her own clothes. And by the way, when the children wash their clothes, they don't know that they're washing something they're themselves going to wear. You don't get to do that until you're about grade six. Prior to that time, there's a pile of sixes and a pile of sevens and a pile of nines, all of those sizes. The only item of clothing each child has for themselves are their shoes. They carve their names into the shoes so they have the same shoes to wear, but you just get whatever out of the pile you can wear. And yes, everywhere I went, Josh said, me, pick me, which means pick me up and hug me. Because who else is going to hug one of these orphans? I was very eager to have a, give away a pair of Crocs that I had brought, and so I brought a pair and brand new shoes And the one who got them was Ayub. The kids value their shoes, and so they take them off before they go into the classroom at school. This is the view that I generally have of of Kenya. I'll show you some other shots, but then in 2014, there was one last picture to take as our truck pulled out of the orphanage and we were going to head back to Nairobi and a plane back to the U.S. And that was to say goodbye to Josh. And I took his picture as the truck pulled away. And he said, Baba Josh, 
will you come back? And I said, Josh, I promise. I will come back. When you go to Africa, lots of people see Africa this way. The steps and the Masamara and the elephants. I see it more like this. Most people from the United States go on safari. They look at the warthogs and the birds and the antelope. They might go to see the wildebeest migration or the zebras. But I see the people. This is the town of Katali. There are churches there and shops and stores. But they aren't anything like the mall and Victor. This is a typical Kenyan house. It's made of dung and sticks. So this summer, they heard that the truck was coming and we pulled in to where the orphanage was and the first ones to come find us were Hope and Joshua and Jessica. Everywhere I went, I would find Josh. He was usually there with his buddies. And we started construction on the dairy we promised to build. There were purlins to be drilled and bolts to be welded. We had to cut the steel with whatever we could use, usually a saws, but nothing so powerful as you would do for steel construction in this country. The water line is about a half mile long. It had to be dug by hand and put in place. There's Liz Fry. She's drilling plates that will weld onto the purlins. And she became an incredibly gifted welder, one of the best. And her sister, Cece, would cut the steel. Uh, remember, the real issue were there was to deal with the cows. Now, the Kenyans were milking their cows, but they would milk them by hand, and sometimes they didn't wash the udders, so you would get cow hair and mud and whatever in the milk. You tried to strain the milk. We had shipped ahead of us some milking machines, and the Kenyans would bang on the head of the cattle with clubs and poke them with sticks to get them to go near a tree where they would tie them to the tree for milking. Instead, uh, we had a farmer from Dansville, New York, Bill, and he has 60 head of cattle here, and he showed us how to help the Kenyans. We would get a bucket of oats, and we would put molasses in with the oats. It's kind of like candy for the cows, and stroke them and hum to them, wash the underside of their belly, and then hook up the milking machine, and the first cow went, moo. <laughs> that was a new experience. <laughs> now the milk went directly from the cow into a sealed stainless steel canister. And in four days, we had increased milk production by 40%. And the cows were now lining up to be milked. <laughs> So construction went on on the barn. We would climb up and weld. Uh, I, I wasn't one too eager to climb up so high, so 
I would sometimes sneak away and teach classes at the school. Almost every day you could set your watch. It would rain about 3 o'clock. And do you think the Kenyan children were upset by this? No, this was something God created. It's something to enjoy. But our work continued. On the left, you're going to see the children are having what they have once per month. Once per month, they have dessert. And that's the day they celebrate birthdays. They celebrate everybody's birthday in the month once per month. And so if it's your birthday, you're called up front, and you get to serve everybody there cake and ice cream. And if there's any left over, you get some. Your gift, your birthday present, is the opportunity to give cake and ice cream to others. That approach would not go over real well in our culture. You can see how unhappy the children were. We carried the steel uh, almost a half mile to the site after we cut it and began to weld it. Our greatest joy wasn't in the building of the building, it's the building of lives. And the children are wonderful and speak to us. They also have to do their laundry. And they do it by hand. Uh, There in Kenya, they have a solar clothes dryer. Sometimes the kids would go on safari while we worked. And sometimes they did role play in the classroom. Meantime, we were always looking out for the cows. And sometimes we joined the children in their daily worship service. They were accompanied by their one instrument, a drum. The mud was thick when it rained, and even if you had an old dress that had been handed down from four or five other children, you could model it as if you were a professional from Paris. I couldn't wait to see Ayub. The boy who got my... There's Ayub today, two years later. And the children. Well, the gal on the left has only one shoe. Her other shoe ripped and then she lost it. And so she has only one shoe to wear. But you can see how unhappy she is. We feel like we need so many things to make us happy. And we miss out on the importance of relationships. Usually in the evening would be a time to hold the babies and sometimes teach the kids. This particular day, um, I found that if you take the white powder out of disposable diapers... It absorbs moisture, and then it's also very difficult, by the way, to take a little flask of white powder on a plane. I also learned that could be very problematic. And, and then if you add water to it, it puffs up hundreds of times its size, and it turns cool. So at this class, I decided I would make snow. And when they asked the teacher the following day, um, or the teacher asked the kids, what were you learning about today? She said, well, um, 
Baba Josh made snow. It was a miracle. But what do the kids most want to learn? The most important thing for them to learn at Rahama Instep is the Word of God. An incredible hunger for that. They're attentive and eager to know what God's message for them is. That's more valuable than things. And the dairy, well, it came a long way. It's even come further since we left. But they now have a place to milk the cows. And the backside of the dairy, they're now starting to make yogurt and cheese, cottage cheese. Oh, and Bonnie? I promised her one day that she would dance. And this summer she did. Grateful for God keeping God's promises to us. Let us dedicate the first fruits of what we intend to return to God using this printed prayer. Creator God, as we look at our world, we see the devastating effects that human behavior can bring. But we see also the power of renewal and hope that your servants can bring when their hearts are focused on your will and intention. We make this offering in faith that you are actively about the work of redemption and creation and humanity, and that we may hereby take part in your desire to keep your promises and renew and redeem your world. Amen.
We have gorgeous flowers in the sanctuary given by the Sowery family and daughters, and we give thanks and praise for the lives and the love that they represent. We also give thanks and praise that there are a number of birthdays that we're celebrating this week. So if you see Penn Tyler out in the fellowship area or Melissa Schmidt, who's at home with her new baby, um, baby son as brother to uh, Gordon Sylvester, and if you see Maddie Frank on Facebook, wish them a happy birthday. We're also giving thanks and praise for healing prayers that are coming true. You might have heard last week that we were praying for Karen Ash and the surgery that she had on Monday. It was successful, and she is home now recovering. Also, Carol Tiemann had a bit of a fall and broke her clavicle, but she too is healing, is able to drive around and take care of herself. We are praying with the Henderson-Harrison clan for Dan's brother, John, healing after open-heart surgery. We're also joining Kim Wilborn, praying for Bill DeCoste, a Menden High School grad with a wife and three kids. His second transplant has failed, and he's hospitalized in New Jersey in serious condition. So please pray for Bill DeCoste and wife Marilyn, friends of Kim Wilborn. And we've just learned from Sharon Pete that Bob Pete is recovering from a compression fracture of his spine and having an aneurysm repaired. So we will lift up the Peets in prayer for that healing as well. Walt Scott is here, and Walt, we join with you and your family mourning the loss of Ellie, who joined God in the kingdom this past week. And we're thankful that because of that great love, we can celebrate her in this sanctuary on Sunday, October 30th at 3 p.m. and give thanks and commend her to God. We're also joining with the choir and lamenting the loss of Tom Hughes, who passed this week. We do not yet have funeral plans, but we know that you have already graciously agreed to sing at his memorial at whatever upcoming date, and so we thank you. We also give thanks and praise for many ways that people band together to build this community. Several people are here from the Pittsford Central School District and its sale, its rummage sale, which did extremely well again this year. Thank you, everyone, for the ways that you contribute and minister locally, nationally, and internationally. And I'm just grateful to God that we have people that know how to play the piano like that. Thank you, Bruce and James. Um, I think that what I've observed in this presidential election has been the most rancorous I can recall in my lifetime. And so uh, we, we talked here as a staff at the church, not sure what to do, but the sanctuary will be open all Tuesday of Election Day for anybody who would like to come here and, and pray before going to the polls. And then on Wednesday, the day after the election, we thought it might be good to hold a brief service of healing, no matter how this election goes, to do that about 7.15 until 7.45, just a brief service, because I think we might need it. Please join me in prayer. Ever-giving, ever-healing God, you are the one who continues to be present to us, wherever we are in life's journey. We are the harvest of your planting. 
We are your creation fashioned in your image. We are your redeemed people. We have moments of joy to celebrate this day, and then we have moments of anguish and pain and suffering and loss. We pray that you will bless those people who grieve, those who need healing, whether that's of body or relationship, and that you will use us as an expression of your promise to be faithful. So bless us that we might bless others and that we might live out the words we often say when we pray the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's just sing the first and last stanzas of our closing hymn. for all of us, God keeps God's promises. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.